Well, good morning again. Uh, if you're visiting, again, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs, and we really are grateful that everyone is here, some, some of us in here for the baptisms. We're excited. Uh, today, I want to carry on in week nine of our series called The Unshakables. Uh, we're talking about how you can build a foundation of faith in life that withstands all of the shaking, whether you're too young to know that the shaking comes in life or not, that the shaking and tests come, and we can have a faith that withstands all of those things. Now, today we're going to talk about unshakable trust. Unshakable trust. I, uh, I read a meme this week, uh, among the many mistakes I made this week, but I read this meme. It says, trust your heart. It may be on the left, but it's always right. Now, there's more problems with that statement than cardiological problems, which, you know, it's in the middle. But it's kind of a life application issue. Like, if you want a sure way to totally lead to failure in your life, just trust your heart and nothing more. I mean, I tried trusting my own wicked and deceitful heart for like 14 years. And let me just assure you, it is not an unshakable enterprise. Uh, If you want to base your life, though, on something a lot more solid than that silly meme, Uh, let's carry on. We're going to get to God's word. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. Uh, We're going to read a big, powerful chunk from Philippians 3, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. If you thought it was the, the Filipino church, you can take it like that too. Paul's letter to the church in, in Philippi. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe to you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not saying that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a, a blessing, a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. And would you come, 
Holy Spirit, in this place, and would you be so gracious as to help us reveal to those of us who are open for inspection, reveal where we really are putting our trust, truly. And, And even more than that, would you be so gracious to help us to change whatever else it is so that we could put our trust fully in you, unshakably, for the sake of the upward call, for your name, for our lives. Amen. Amen. I have one point today, and I'm going to have you all memorize it in the next, like, 17 seconds. So here we go. The unshakable person trusts in the person of God. We can do that, right? We've got seven seconds left. Say it with me. The unshakable person trusts in the person of God. Y'all got that nailed down? I want to drive this point home, this point that you guys just memorized. Uh, and then I'm going to teach verse by verse through this passage we just read. Uh, it's cool because the way it flows is it points out some things that we really shouldn't trust in. And then Paul gives like reasons uh, for how we can actually trust in Jesus and how great of an adventure it is to trust in Jesus. But I repeat, first of all, the unshakable person trusts in the person of God. You all got to stay with me. Now, if foundationally in your life, if you trust in inanimate things or impersonal things like ideas or systems or nations or lifestyles or even well-principled life philosophies, then your life is just going to be a puzzle that's just missing way too many pieces. And remember that whatever you really trust in will be revealed by lots of shaking and testing in your life. Now, on the other hand, if you trust in a person, but you know, like the wrong person, like the president, your spouse, or especially yourself, which is most common, no bueno. We trust in God, the person of God. That's the only way we can build a truly unshakable life. Now, let's break this down a little bit. God reveals his truth through timeless principles, ideas that are just way better than any human reasoning. When I say way better, I mean like infinitely better than human reasoning. But he's still a person that we trust in actively, relationally. Because here's the thing, if you're like me, and let me just tell you, you are, you have a tendency to kind of cherry pick certain principles from God's word to try to fit them into your preset worldview uh, uh, based on things that you're already trusting in that are lesser than God. And so we need to not do that. That's why I say that the unshakable person trusts in the person of God. Now, of course, I do believe, and I need to make it known, that the person of God is revealed in the Bible. And in my notes, I have a period after that. And that's important because you don't trust in the person of God apart from the word of God. But listen, my point is this, that you also don't trust in the word of God apart from the person of God. Now, when Paul reveals these, uh, rebukes these dogs, I mean, he he uses pretty harsh language in verse 2. The dogs in this passage are first century religious men and women, I suppose, who followed certain rules, religious rules, but yet rejected the God that gave the rules. 
They didn't have a personal trust in them. And let me just tell you, in the 21st century here, there's still the same type of dogs, and they're still barking. And if, you know, make a little side note to yourself. Like, remind yourself now, make a note to ask your friend after service if, if, if you ever bark. Because if you're like me, you probably do a little too much. Especially if you have a social media account. Lord, help us. My point is that the God in whom we ought to trust is transcendent and mysterious, but he's a very real God existing in three very real persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we need to trust him personally as opposed to like dogmatically or just ideologically. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm going to drive this home even further. Ronald, can you run up here? I need you to stand right here. Uh, now, Ronald, did I, can you tell the congregation, did I warn you that this was coming? You did not. You can, you can stand right here, okay? So look at me. I have one more question for you to answer. You can just keep facing me, but answer it. Did, uh, well, actually, my question would be this. Are you a person? Yes. Let it be known that Ronald said that he is a person, okay? Now, I trust Ronald, okay? Okay, so <laughs> you can sit down, Ronald. <laughs> now, the point I'm making is the unshakable person doesn't trust in Ronald, but in God. Now, I believe that Ronald probably could have caught me, but I don't need to find out. I can tell you this, though. Religion as an idea ain't going to catch me. God can. The person of God can't. Now, I would advise you to not do a trust fall with God because he'll give you something better than catching you. He's going to help you learn wisdom through the pain of gravity. But we trust in God. We trust in a person of God. There are truths that we believe and we hold fast to because God is unchanging. But don't forget that he's a person and we trust in him and he is reliable a lot more than Ronald and me and your ideas and my ideas. We rejoice in him as a person. That's why verse one, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. What he's saying is that, look, I'm being purposefully redundant here because I know that your tendency like mine is to always find subtle other things, subtle subtleties of ways that we can trust in other things to find our hope and faith and joy in. And all those things do is serve to dry you up. And that's why I'm okay with repeating it, because I don't want you to miss out on any of the joy of trusting in God. And so Paul goes on in the next few verses to ever so bluntly point out what we should not trust in. Verses two and three. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Speaking of the people of faith in Christ who place their trust in God. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ. Now, Paul's reference to the dogs here, again, I'm going to go a little deeper into this. These are the religious elite, the, uh, the, the Jewish special forces. There were well-respected men in the church in this situation uh, from what was known inside the, the church at the time as the circumcision party. Uh, these were people who were finding their way into especially Macedonian churches in the time, like uh, some of the churches in Philippi. And they were claiming that they trusted in Jesus and that advocating for technically for trusting in Jesus, but they were really 
advocating for an external religious rule and lifestyle, like circumcision, uh, clinging to these external rules, or even going as far as kind of harsh treatment to the body, which is kind of like Christian masochism, which, by the way, is completely antithetical. It's like putting ketchup on your cereal. It doesn't really fit together. Christian masochism doesn't work. Our life and our faith is not one of external rules and behavior manipulation. It's one of inside-out faith and trust, and that's why he calls these folks out. He goes on in verse 4. Where am I? Here we go. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now he's speaking in context of what they considered to be righteousness under the law. And he's saying that's insufficient because the next verse, verse seven, for whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Listen, in the weight room, all on your own, you can make gains. But the only way to gain anything of value in life and in faith is to lose, completely lose confidence in yourself and to fully place your trust in the person of God, in Jesus, who made the gains himself. He lived a perfect life, the only one who's ever done that. And he died a full and final sacrificial death so that we could be brought into relationship with him and he could be confirmed as the perfect, merciful one. Don't place confidence in yourself. Now, Paul is really passionate and some would say bordering on a little rude with how he says, do not place your confidence. It it seems like he's a little bit satirical in this. Don't place your confidence in yourself, in your flesh. Don't trust your heart. It's the most destructive path you could take. He says, maybe I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, but, but I've counted that as loss. Let me show you how our culture, by and large, does this. No matter how you label yourself or what, what thoughts you think that might be you know, superior to others. I think our generation hates labels. Now, we're the, what I say is the label-free generation, which, by the way, is a label. Uh, but I find labels kind of helpful. Uh, as far as our culture is concerned, the, the ways of thinking and voting and advocating, help me out a little bit here. It's left-wing and it's right-wing, okay? So it's, it's progressive and it's conservative. Don't say regressive. It's progressive and conservative. Now, for, for, the, for the sake of how we tend to place our trust in life, uh, I find it helpful to call these two categories uh, liberalism and legalism. I think these are two ways of placing confidence in the flesh and ideas here on earth. Liberalism and legalism. And as far as labeling things, I, I think I, I like these labels. I like them that they're both uh, else, not just for the sake of alliteration, but I think these are both losing systems of thinking. 
Because both encourage you to think earthly thoughts as opposed to placing your trust in Christ in critical things. Let me just share with you how legalism and liberalism are common in areas when it relates to trusting Christ. Both push you to trust in yourself. One says kind of do whatever your heart or your body or whatever tells you. And the other says, don't trust your heart, your body, or your impulses. In fact, you're supposed to stuff them down with external rules by the power of your own will and your own volition. Both, both essentially tell you to trust yourself. And both reject God's word. One by denying it explicitly. And the other by often trying to add to God's word in, in areas that require faith. This is my past. It almost is like I need to help God a little bit because this area, I could trust him in this, but you know, I'm just going to go ahead and add another rule because really it's kind of like saying like the Bible's insufficient. Let me just share with you a little bit that neither of these work because neither of them outside of trust in Christ allow you to delight in really placing your trust in God. Let me pick on legalism for a second more. The circumcision party wasn't just a first century thing. I think that that party is still around today. A lot of people that like to cling to rules and choose that rather than trusting Christ. I've done it quite often in the past, and it's still very too prevalent today. Now, I'm going to say it's hard. It's hard sometimes when there's an area where I'm not super clear whether it's drinking or dancing or things like this. Like, what are you supposed to do? I'm more comfortable with extra rules, right? Can we be honest? Like, it would be nice to have, like, rules about everything. Some things Jesus speaks very clearly to. And to to make fuzzy what's clear is not right. But some things he clearly tells us, you are left to trusting me about these things. And what do we do in those situations? I, I, I read an article this week on Facebook, posted on Facebook. I'll just go with you here for a second. I think this can be helpful. Lord, let it be helpful. <laughs> okay, so it was about modesty and how women, especially Christian women, should dress, right? Uh, one of my friends posted it, and it was a Christian woman. I, I can't say that I agreed with everything she said, but man, I could really relate to what she was feeling, and I felt bad about contributing to this. So she was lamenting about how much of a tireless burden it is as a Christian woman having to dress in a certain way that men don't sexually lust after them. Anyone ever felt that issue? Bunch of liars. (laughs) Basically, here was her assertion. She says, guys... Women are beautiful, so notice it and move on with your life. Don't blame me if your perversion over my skirt not being down to my ankles causes you problems. Don't put the full burden on me. I was reading some of these things, and I had a lot of but, but, but going on in my head, but, but we know this, and we know... But none of the things I was thinking were based on anything substantive. And so ultimately, I had to agree with her. Because men, let's be honest. 
The women weren't being totally honest when they were talking about it, when I asked if you've ever felt this. So men, can we be honest? If women were wearing spacesuits, we'd probably lust after them. We would need to trust God for our holiness. And that is not a good reason to advocate that women should wear more than spacesuits. Cultures that do this and place the full burden on women, which exist, and maybe our history, not so great America history, has been a part of this in times. Cultures that do this, I believe, are, one, oppressive to women because it denies a certain beauty of femininity that God has created. And number two, it doesn't help men to stop lusting anyway. Only Christ can do that. So the point is that these rules don't work. And so I liked the article, literally. And I also put something on there like, yeah, strong, or something like that, right? Here's the problem subsequent to that action on my part. Then I stuck around later to hear the dogs barking. And man, it was so shocking and frustrating how many Christians would say things like, man, God's word is clear here. We can't, we can't reject what God has clearly stated. And they were very passionate, but when pressed by others, okay, can you help me? What is God's word clear about? There was nothing. I mean, no, let me just tell you, there's nothing. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess there's this idea that we want to think that that there's kind of some sort of inverse relationship between holiness and fashion, but no, there's not. There's not a whole lot of clarity other than you need to trust God here. The worst part is when I saw, this is when I put it down, I saw a woman, uh, I put it down, but technically I'm picking it back up. A woman said, you know, God's word is clear right from the very start. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and so they covered themselves up with fig leaves when they found themselves naked. And so God came and covered covered them up with animal skins because of their immodesty. Let me help you out here. Adam and Eve didn't have an immodesty problem. Their problem was a lot bigger than that. They had a treason, blasphemy, spit in God's face, devil, hell problem. And they didn't need a little modesty. They were completely corrupt and depraved. They needed God to kill an animal as a blood sacrifice for their sin. And that's what he did. That's why they were clothed with animals. It wasn't an immodesty problem. It was much worse. And it prefigured the full and final sacrifice of Christ when he would have that ultimate blood sacrifice so that we could be covered with something infinitely greater than modesty. We could be covered with the righteousness of Christ. And what I'm saying is, women, help us out if you can. I mean, that's helpful. A a few less yoga pants is going to help a brother out a little bit. But look, we, and as a man of three daughters, a father of three daughters, look, I don't want to put the burden all on women. We need to trust Christ is the point. We need to trust him. His word is sufficient. He is a person that can help you. Now ask yourself this, in the absence of rules about particular things, are you driven towards just running from God's word entirely, like godlessness? Or are you driven towards rule making? 
which is in essence playing God, which is a no-no, by the way? Or are you driven to fully trust God even more? Now, I think it'll be helpful. That's what we're not supposed to do, those, those ways that we place confidence in our flesh. I think this is really helpful as it goes on because Paul talks about how we can trust in God. Number one, I'm going to have a few reasons as we subsequently go through the next verses. Number one, we need to trust God as a real person that we can know. This is beautiful. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christ is a person that we can know. He's someone that we can gain, someone that we can grow in, someone that can, can grow us in him. And in, in contrast, make the things that we're worried about or things that we need to have faith in be smaller as we grow in him and as we know him personally. The trust thing in him is not just a mind game. It's a personal thing. It's a personal gain. It's not a mind game. It's not faith in your faith or trust in your ability to trust or hope in your hope. If you're like me, you struggle with this sometimes. Like, am I fa- do I have enough faith? We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in a very stable person who's living, who's loving, who's there for us. And so you don't have to torture yourself with questions like, do I have enough faith and do I believe enough? Let me help you. The only question you have to ask is, how trustworthy is this very real person that I ought to believe in and in whom I do believe? How wonderful is he? How pure is he? How good is he? That's the question we ask. That's what trust and faith is about. It's a personal faith. And it's also not a blind faith, a blind trust. It's personal, but it's not blind. You know, our faith has reasons for it. Our faith is the only faith, it's the only idea that rises and falls on the credibility of a singular miraculous event, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It happened in a city that it would have been easiest to disprove, and it never was. Smart people believe in the resurrection of Jesus because, listen, smart people believe in things that really happened. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ written in the antiquities than anything in the history, in, 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 antiqu- in ancient history. And so if you say, I don't have reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder where does your history start? There's good reason to have faith in Jesus, but the point that I'm making is, Some smart people have other reasons that they don't trust in Christ other than intellectual. And so our faith is a personal faith. It's not a blind faith, but it's still faith. And that's the point. It's better than intellectual. It's personal faith. Let me give you one more example. I cannot prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that my wife is faithful to me. I can do better than that. I can trust her. And for a diversity of reasons that are far surpassing simple empirical data, I trust her personally. And likewise, we can trust God as a person that we can know, not just a bunch of facts, 
but not lacking reasons. Number two, and I'll speed up here, we can trust God as our substitute. Verse nine, I can be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ, a righteousness of God that depends on faith. If you trust in yourself, you'll die in your sin. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, you'll live forever because he already died for your sin. And he rose again from the dead. And because of that, he's become our substitution for the gruesome and wicked death that we deserve for our actions and our thinking. And by way of substitution, we, by placing trust in him, become the righteousness of God in Christ. Trust him as your substitution. It's not fair. We get his righteousness. He gets our sin. It's not fair. It's love. He's our substitute. Number three, we must trust God in power. The the passage goes on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Uh, I think it was second grade, but maybe I'm just like too embarrassed to admit that it might have been like fourth or fifth grade that I was asked what I wanted to be when I grow up and I had nothing else in my mind that I wanted to be a superhero. And it, it was simple. It was very stupid, the reason why. It was I wanted to like levitate things to impress people. And I wanted to like fly in and rescue cute girls from uh, you know, bullies and stuff. And as silly and juvenile as that sounds and it is to admit, I want to tell you that I have something way better than that right now. I have the power of the living God. I have his resurrection power by faith. I have the kingdom of God. And it's way better than all those things. And God forbid that I am weighed down by earthly fears and worries and concerns instead of growing in this power that has been granted to me. And it's a portal for more. Number four, we must trust God as our forerunner. The passage goes on that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is encouraging. Is anyone here suffering at all? Anyone else? Some of us so bad that we can't admit it. Well, you can trust in the one who's gone before you in suffering. There's nothing that you're suffering that you can't share with Jesus, the real person and mighty God. He's a wonderful person that he really does stand beside you because he's gone before you. He's your forerunner. I think there are overwhelmingly convincing emotional reasons to trust in Jesus. And even the Bible talks about emotional reasons, if that makes you feel uncomfortable. Let me just share with you. The Bible says, it issues a challenge, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't think it's talking about your palate. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is emotionally and intellectually too good for any human to just make up. No one's ever been that smart. He's too good to be untrue. You can trust him as a person, as your forerunner. Number five, we can trust him as our redeemer. The next verse, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Notice the gratitude and the humility and the finality of that statement. Trusting in Christ and being an arrogant person is implicitly, implicitly 
uh, you can't do that. It's, it's impossible to, to put those two, two things together. It's incompatible. Basic Christianity is this. We are super evil, but because of what God's done, he's made us his own. I have faith and trust in that. That's basic Christianity. That's my story. I was a prideful and perverted religious hypocrite. And God made me his own through the work of a campus ministry. And I hope that I never get over that. He was and is my redeemer. Trust him as your redeemer. Finally, trust God as your prize. Verse 13 and 14, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Basic structural engineering is if you want to build higher, you have to dig deeper. So can you help me preach for a second? Repeat after me. Higher calling. calling. Greater prize. Now preach to yourself, strong to yourself, dig deeper. deeper. Say that again. Okay, that was a lot better. Thanks for helping me. We press on to the greater prize. When do we do that? You know, when, when we're not struggling with earthly things anymore? Let me tell you why that's a bad idea. Because when you seek a greater prize in Christ... When you seek greater things, you become greater. And the only way for you to get over your lusts and concerns and financial fears and whatever's weighing you down that the devil tells you you have to go fix before you seek the prize of Christ, you can tell him you're a liar, devil. Right here where I am, because of his mercy, I'm going to seek the greater prize, the upward call. I'm going to build higher, and he'll enlarge you. When you trust in a greater God, you become greater. Jesus is the prize. He's the unending prize. So if you already know him, you can press on to find your prize in him and know him more. If you don't know him, you can simply say, God, you can pray. Like right as I'm talking and you're sitting there in the church seat, you can pray, God, make me new. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I trust in you. In fact, let me help you practically with how this works. Uh, our, Our membership interviews, we have this question It's kind of like the operative question of our membership interviews. Because we have a pretty simple process. Uh, It's really just one class, and and we'll share more about that in our fall calendar with you. But we have this question, and it's, do you know enough about the church to commit to growing with us? It's a simple question. You don't have to know everything. The only qualifier is that you have faith, and you grow from there. Let me ask you this. Do you know enough about Jesus to trust him? Do you know enough? How much more? Now, growing in that is an eternal adventure. But it starts with a mustard seed of faith. Let's pray.